Um, sometimes, uh, when, you, when you're in the position that, that I'm in, uh, you, you, you know a lot. Uh, and I don't mean like I'm smart. I mean like you talk to a lot of, because I'm not. Um, you, you, talk to, uh, you talk to a lot of people. And, and that's the part of the privilege of, of what I get to do is, is share in, in your lives. And so as we gather together, some days um, from this position, this is a heavy room this morning. I don't know if you feel like that. I, maybe you don't. I, I don't know what's going on in everyone's lives, but I do know what's going on in some's. And, and uh, man, I don't know. Something's just weighing on me today. And uh, I just want you to know I feel that for you, whoever you might be. And uh, if you're not, if you came in this morning just free as a bird, congratulations. We don't want to bring you down. That's not it. Um, but we're, we're supposed to share one another's burdens. And so as we study, as we pray, as we sing, as we partake of the Lord's Supper later, there's so many things that unite us. And uh, regardless of what you may or may not be going through in your life right now, just know there's other people in the room that are going through some stuff. And uh, if you need something to pray about, it's there. Um, it's there for sure. Uh, we got to go to, uh, David and, and myself and Kristen, I uh, got to go to an elders, a leadership conference this last weekend, and uh, uh, it, was, it was great. Um, we learned uh, a ton there, but we were challenged in a lot of different ways. And, and one of the things that struck me was on Friday night, uh, it opened with a, a, a worship session, and uh, I didn't really formulate all these thoughts until about 30 seconds ago, so sorry. Um, but uh, we had a worship session that night, and the only thing I remember is on the way home, as David and I were talking about it, um, I, I remember saying, that uh, there was just a common theme. All of the songs were very much of the same theme. And that was it. I didn't really dwell any, any more beyond that until just a few moments ago this morning. And we're studying, we're getting, we're just now getting started in the book of Luke. If you didn't grab, if you didn't get one of these journals yet when we passed them out last week, please, 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 please do. And the thing I forgot to do last week was have you write your name in it by the, the, the crazy chance that maybe it accidentally gets left somewhere in the room and we can make sure it gets back to you. So if you didn't get one of these on your way in this morning, we still have a few left. And if we need to order more, I will order them first. Actually, I'll order them today so it gets here before next weekend. Um, but we would love you to have one of these. It's the book of Luke with lines in it to, to record things. But I say all that to say this, as I was um, thinking just a moment ago about the songs that we sang and we're studying the book of Luke and we're beginning at the beginning, We'll talk about why that is here in just a moment. But here's what we know. We already know the ending. If you're a follower of Christ, you already know the ending of the book of Luke. If you're not a follower of Christ yet, I'm going to be a spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you. Our, our Savior came to this earth to live a life, to teach, to heal, to show people love, to show people who God truly is in a physical form. And he led this life sinless, which we think is impossible. So studies tell us today that, oh, the, the research people's opinion is that, well, Jesus wasn't sinless. He was just like all of us. He made mistakes. He committed sins. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was absolutely perfect. And he offered his perfect life for you and I on that cross at the end of this book that we're studying together. And three days later, he rose again. And then the author of this book set out to, to record the end of that phase. But then he's like, oh, wait, I'm not done yet. I need to write this down, too. And he records the birth of the church, the place that we gather today, the place that Jesus established at the end of, of his trials and his resurrection was the church for us to gather and to learn and to worship 
together. And so as we go through this, we all must remember that end game, the, the end part of this book, and what Luke's purpose in sharing this message with us is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And in this season that we live in, all of us, it seemed like, was like fall is here. And other than the allergies, I don't know about you, but everybody I know that has allergies, it's insane right now. Um, other than the allergies, it's a beautiful time of year. But no matter how beautiful it is out there, there are people you know, and there are people I know that are suffering in this world, and they don't know our Savior yet, and we got a chance. And numbers that matter, at least 80% of people, when invited by a close friend to church, guess what they say? Yes. The statistics are in your favor when you invite someone to come with you. So keep that in mind this season as we get into the holidays, as we share the story of Christ and allow them to do some investigating. Let's pray. Father God, as we open your word today, I pray that you are alone lifted high, that your word is glorified and that whatever it is you need someone in this room, someone that's joining us online, Father, whatever it is you need them to hear, let my words get out of the way so they can hear your voice and your voice alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, some people, depending on your church background, right, depending on where you come from or if you're brand new to the church, some people will ask, why are we doing this kind of a study where we go through a whole book of the Bible? What is the purpose of this kind of study? Because in the world today, there are not many churches that teach like this anymore. It's, it's very rare to find churches that actually do this. Is it practical? Is it useful, and, and is it what God wants? Well, let me give you the answer to those three questions. Yes, yes, and absolutely yes. So let's start with this. This is the way the scriptures were originally given to us, in a book or, or in a letter. And it would have been, I, I can't even imagine the blessing that it would have been in the original first believer's church to actually have your own copy of a text, whether it was one of Paul's letters or one of the Gospels or, or maybe even part of the Old Testament, it would have been incredible to have a handwritten copy of your very own so no one actually did. You would only hear the Word of God when you gathered together as a group like this. The common person would not have had their own text. They would hear it read when they were together. They would pray the Scriptures. They would discuss the Scriptures they would talk about how to live out the Word of God in their life. Today, we have access to the whole work, all of the letters, old and new, whether in this form here or on our phones or on our computers or whatever. But, and it's a huge blessing for sure, but there's something that's been lost. Biblical literacy, we're not talking about the ability to read, we're talking about knowledge of this book continues to diminish in massive ways, even though there are infinitely more opportunities to encounter the work and the Word of God, more opportunities for people to engage in this book than any other time on the planet. People are choosing not to. How bad is it? Here you go. According to a recent <clears throat> Barna survey, fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians can't identify more than two or three of the disciples. 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments, not to condemn anyone. If that's you, like, I don't know if I know more than five. That's why you're here. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. We're going to do this thing together. 
Multiple surveys reveal some other disturbing stats. 82% of Americans believe this is a Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not in there. Now, before you think, well, that's just Americans, you're right. Bible-believing, born-again, professed Christians were way better. Only 81% of them believe it. That's the difference between a believer and a non-believer. Yikes. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was, in fact, Noah's wife. I wish it were a joke. Yeah. Survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable number of respondents indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. It's funny, but it's funny, not funny, right? Because it's so true. People don't understand or know the Word of God. It isn't precious to people any longer. This is why we need, as the body of Christ, to do deep dives into the Word of God each and every time that we gather. We can't live out what we don't know. We certainly can't tell others what we don't know ourselves. So hopefully you're as excited as I am, even when the mood's a little heavy, to dive in. The opening few chapters of Luke are likely the most famous part of all of his two volumes of work. I wonder, did he know that? When he was done writing, did he look back at his work and go, you know, I bet this is the part. As he uncovered all the behind the scenes information through his interviewing of disciples, maybe, who were with Jesus, maybe interviewing the people that Jesus had actually physically healed or their families, going from town to town to village to village where Jesus had taught and hearing the stories of how Jesus changed their lives. As he did all of this, and he set out to create this detailed, orderly account, that means that he had to start at the very beginning. It's an incredible place to start. I'm so glad that he did. But did he know that this would be the most famous part? Could he imagine that 2,000 years later, there would be a time set aside, usually on December 24th, where we would open the book of Luke, even in our very own homes, and read his account of the birth story? Man, how incredible that is to think about. Remember when we read the scriptures that this is a real story. These are real people. And it includes absolutely incredible, I won't argue with that, but real events. And don't forget the author is a real person as well. Imagine his thoughts, his feelings, his dreams as he put this work of art, if you will, together. So as we go through every event, every parable, every teaching, everything that Jesus shared somehow with Luke, I want you to consider and imagine that you're the one taking the notes. You're the one hearing the stories. Imagine as if this was written specifically for you. Okay, that part you actually don't have to imagine because it was. So if you've never had anyone write anything to you, that's not true anymore. This was written for you. (laughs) Don't ever forget that because it's true. So whether you're sitting here today at Berea Christian Church on October 3rd, 2021, we often don't say the date, but I do that on purpose sometimes because somebody might watch this in 2040. 
And this truth won't be any different in 2040 than it is in 2021. God knew you would be listening. He knew. And he prepared these words for you to hear. He has something very specific in store for you. Now, I got to stop because I'm getting way ahead of myself, and I need to stop doing that. So I want to remind you once again how excited I am that I get to share this work with you. You and I get to go on the journey through the greatest text in all of the world, the very Word of God. We get to dig in deep to the Word of God. We get to learn about God, the man, and the Savior, the Redeemer of humanity all together. I hope as we read these words, you can sense the power that exists within them. You feel the power that these words bring in. Most importantly, I pray that you walk in or watch online or you read later, whatever it is, that you allow this account, Luke's account, to change you. Will you come in each week with an open mind and an open spirit awaiting, uh, I want to change that word, expecting expecting the life and the teachings of Jesus to change you. Because if you do, they will. (laughs) Luke is writing so that the original reader, Theophilus, will know the certainty of the things that which he had been taught. And when Luke is done with his account, he wants Theophilus and you and me to be absolutely certain that Jesus was real, that He is our Savior and our Lord and the Son of God, and that we too will know the certainty of the things that we believe. But Luke's letter was definitely intended beyond just the believer. From the very beginning, Luke's letter was used to his reach outside of the church at the time. The details, the accuracy, even the language, the verbiage that he used was on purpose to gain the interest of a skeptic who might not be willing to believe at first. So hopefully you're excited, because you should be. It's an incredible thing we get to do, and we get to begin right now. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. We'll go 5 through 35, I believe, today is the text. We're going to start with a man named John the Baptist. And as it was pointed out to me this week, John the Baptist does actually not share his middle name with Winnie the Pooh. His name is not Baptist, that is not his last name, his surname as well. And he was not, I'm sorry if you're from the background, he is not a Southern Baptist preacher, all right? Just get those things out of the way right now. Those things were not true. He received the name because of his actions. What he did, he would baptize. John the baptizer is actually a more accurate version of his name for the cleansing of their sins. He was a man who whom the ancient prophets had predicted so very long ago, would ultimately come and he would lead people back to God, back to a place of repentance. He came to tell the people of the coming kingdom of God, a voice that had been silent for 400 years. He came to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus. But Luke takes the time to tell us the story of how this man miraculously filled this role. None of the other Gospels do that. None of the other Gospels share where John came from. He's just there. So Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38, actually, is where we're going today. Here we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order, the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, deserving, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. We don't even know what that means. <laughs> I love the details. And we'll talk about this all the way through the, Luke, through the whole Gospel of Luke because he's so detailed about everything. He slips in all these really important details about Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they seem to be simple, faithful Jews. They loved their God and they loved his people. There seems to be absolutely nothing noteworthy or exceptional or important about these two individuals from a worldly point of view. Now, in his old age here, Zechariah was doing what? Well, he's still faithfully serving in his role as a priest. In fact, he notes that both he and his wife were righteous in the sight of God. That is a compliment. Where did he get that information? Who told him that? Zechariah and Elizabeth were long gone by the time Luke wrote this. So who shared this information? Luke takes a moment and he mentions that both of them were direct descendants from Aaron. This is the Aaron. This is Moses' brother Aaron. This is the father of the entire Jewish priesthood, the head of all of it when God first established it. Oh my goodness, what a cool, cool lineage. They didn't go to Ancestries.com to figure that out. It's written down for them. But by this point in their lives, they hadn't been un- they'd been unable to conceive a child. And at this point in their lives, to be very, very honest, they'd given up the whole idea. It wasn't possible until verse 8. <laughs> Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, this part of the text is usually overlooked because the miracle happens in just a moment. And so we don't really think about this part. This part is so stinking important to us because this is impossible too. This should have never happened. We can't overlook the significance. This is special. Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests in Israel. 18,000 priests divided up into 24 different divisions of 750 men. Each priestly group served at the temple for only two weeks per year. But all 750 of them couldn't serve at the temple. That would be way, 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 way too many people. So even the amount of people that were sent to the temple was reduced and chosen by a means similar to this each and every time. So who served? Well, they cast lots. They drew straws, if you will. They believed that was God's way of choosing the people that would get selected to serve. Zechariah's name got chosen. We don't know. This literally could have been the very first time in the history of Zechariah's life that as priest, he got to go into this place and do this thing. We don't know, but it could have been that special for him. He would have been rejoicing at this incredibly precious opportunity to represent all of Israel before his God. It's incredible. And as special as that moment was, he had no idea what was behind the curtain. No clue what was about to happen. Now, I I have a question for you and me. When we come to, to serve in the body of Christ, when our name is on the schedule, do we feel this special about getting to serve our Lord and Savior when we come and, 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 and present ourselves before him to serve, whether downstairs with the children or greeting at the door or preparing coffee and donuts or whatever it is on the stage with the worship team, whatever it is God chooses to, you to do, do we think it's as special as, because it is, 
God has selected you to come and serve on his behalf. And who knows who might show up on that morning. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Think about that. How detailed. We actually have a diagram. We know what the altar of incense looks like. And we now know that the angel stood on the right side. Luke is so stinking specific. Who told him this? These are details. You don't make up details. We talked about that last week. If you're making up a story, you don't include things like that. It would be pointless to do that. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will, not is going to, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to return the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asks the angel, "Um, quick question, how's that going to happen again? Uh, I'm old, (laughs) and my wife is well along in years. I think that's worded that way on purpose. He didn't call his wife old. Did you see that? Anyway, I think that's a very intentional thing. It hasn't been edited. That's the original Greek. These are the way we translate it. So I'm just saying he was a smart man. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. He names himself. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. And not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, why is he in there so long? What's going on? When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but wasn't able to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. And after this, His wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. Yeah, something had to happen once he got home. Did she know? He couldn't talk. What? Hmm. You ever thought about that? All of a sudden, she's pregnant. That's not possible. So they hid it for five months. They kept her secluded and protected for five months. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown favor and taken my disgrace taken away my disgrace among my people. Now, all the Gospels begin in their own unique way. What an incredible way to begin this book. Zechariah, impossibly chosen against the odds to serve at the temple. Once there, he's greeted by an angel, Gabriel, scared out of his mind by this encounter, only to be given information that is beyond unbelievable, It's actually physically impossible. Nothing of this encounter, in fact, is possible, except that it is with God. First, he encounters the impossible ability to go in before his God and burn the incense. That was impossible. The odds of that happening were almost astronomical. Second up, impossible that he would meet an angel. That doesn't happen every day. 
Next up, it's impossible for them to have a child. They're way too late in life to do that. And as if that wasn't enough, there's no way that this impossible child could possibly be the next prophet of Israel. They've been waiting 400 years for the next one to come along since God had spoken through his prophet Malachi. Now God would choose his son, his impossible, and oh, by the way, currently non-existent son, to be the next prophet of Israel? Can you see how this would have been a little hard for Zechariah to believe in the moment? I really think I would have at least doubted as much as Zechariah, probably a lot more. Now, I read through that passage very quickly a moment ago, so I want to rewind just a moment because I want you to close your mind, close your eyes, just imagine if this were you. This was God speaking to you about something that you've longed for. In their case, it was a child. And so this is the description of this unborn child. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, you need to teach him well, parents. He's not to take wine or any fermented drink. He'll be raised as a Nazarite, as they called them. He's never to do those things. The Holy Spirit, even before he's born, will fill him up. He will be bringing back the people you've been trying to reach as priests for all these years. Your son is going to bring people back to the Lord their God. (laughs) And he will go on before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How would that have touched your heart? (laughs) As one of those parents in this situation. Then Luke switches gears, and he beautifully weaves together the blessing, the shock, the surprise, the wonder of John's family, together now with the story of Jesus' coming. Now, if you didn't know, John's parents were related to Mary. And we don't know exactly how. There's not a specific explanation. So they were probably some form of cousin, if you will. The Jews were all very close together and spent lots of time together in families. So now let's go on to the first part of the most famous text. Next week, we'll be diving deep into the most famous text. But in verse 26, it says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, for some of us, is it weird to hear these verses and it's not Christmas? It shouldn't be. It's not about Christmas. It's about Jesus coming to this earth, and that's something we could remember at any time of the year. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, very similar to Zechariah, and wondered, what on earth is this? What kind of greeting this might be? Mary was greatly troubled. In Greek, the word actually is translated wholly disturbed. She was messed up in that moment. Seriously, like the no joke, terrified. I'll say this every time we talk about angels. There's something so curious about angels 
There just is, and we've done all kinds. We've even, some people even make them a, a deity. Do not do that. Do not worship angels. Do not ever, ever do that. Because if you are, then the angel you're worshiping is not one of God's. So keep that in mind. But there's something about it. We've, we've dealt these things to them. We've made them these cute little babies, diapers and things. Or we've made them these usually tall, usually clean-shaven, white, giant-winged, white-robed men neither of which are very intimidating or terrifying to me. So I'm not sure why everybody in Scripture is terrified when they see them, if that was the case. So there must be something else at work. Every encounter that we see in the Bible just about with an angel, people are terrified. They're scared to death. On the flip side, imagine being an angel. Gabriel's a pretty important dude if you didn't know that. All right? He's a very, very important character in, in, in all of the Bible, quite honestly. And every time you show up to talk to somebody, they totally freak out. What must that be like? Like, how? it's terrible. Like, I got to go talk to him again, God? Come on. Like, they won't every time. They just, huh. But on a more amazing note, remember that Gabriel is a creation of God's, just like us. Different kind, but a creation of God. And who's he been hanging out with for the however long he's been hanging out with them? Someone named Jesus. And for this time... I would assume that somehow Gabriel, the angels, know about the creation of the earth, right? And so from the time that that happened till now, they've been waiting for God to redeem and restore this place. Gabriel knows Jesus personally, and he doesn't know the full story. He can't see into the future. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't know how it will all be played out, but he's been waiting for his king to come to this earth, and now it's time. And Gabriel gets to be the one to deliver that news. He was excited about this. This was a fun task to get to go and share that he is, in fact, on his way. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever with Jacob's descendants. Mary's response to this information is priceless. She's been told the most incredible, most sensational news, the news that Israel's been waiting on literally for centuries. The Son of God is coming. Their Messiah is coming. He will retake David's throne. He will reign forever. What incredible news. But Mary's like, um, Gabe, that is awesome, but I got a quick question. How's that going to happen? How will this be? Very practical, since I'm a virgin. Now, that sounds like a pretty, really practical, amazing, amazing news for sure, but I don't know how it's possible there, Gabe. Um, and she's right. It's very practical, very reasonable, and much like Zachariah's response. Um, it's not, I, so Gabe's response to Mary is a little different than Zachariah's. It's a little softer this time around. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. Clearly, Mary didn't know that about her relative. For no word from God will ever fail, or many translations will say, for nothing will be impossible for God. Now, it's at that moment that all of history could have changed because nothing was forced upon Mary in this in any way, shape, or form. And we don't know, whether was there a pause there in her response, or did she instantaneously reply, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. 
may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. (laughs) What beautiful, incredible faith. Is there any way that Mary understood (laughs) this and what was happening? You know, without God giving her some kind of supernatural ability, the answer is no. And from all accounts that we read, we would probably have to say that the answer would be no. She never really had a full understanding of what happened, even in that moment and throughout the life of Jesus. What we know is that throughout Jesus' life, she continued to ponder and to wonder exactly how all of this would be accomplished through her son. God's perfect plan included another miracle, which Gabriel reveals to her. And this other miracle would be one that helps Mary in this time of of crises in her life. Like, okay, I've agreed to this, but what does this mean? How is this going to help? How are people going to look at me? So she goes and she learns of Elizabeth's miraculous news, and we'll talk about that next week. Ultimately, Mary fully submitted her life into the hands of her God. As I said, this opportunity wasn't forced upon her. She was chosen, and she accepted and embraced the blessing of this holy mission. But I can't imagine in her lifetime how many times she repeated what we would call verse 37 in her mind as she watched her son grow and teach, as he performed miracles and then was mocked and ridiculed. I even believe as she probably watched him being taken down, his lifeless body from the cross, she kept saying, God, you said that nothing's impossible. You said that this would not fail. You said that this would work. What is happening I know she didn't know the answer. There's no way she could have unless, like I said, God miraculously revealed to it, but there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that she was any different than anyone else. She thought he was gone. But nothing is impossible for her God. So why? Why did Luke record this? None of the other Gospels did. Why did he record this as a part of his orderly account? How would this help Theophilus so many centuries ago and you and me be certain of the things we have taught. Well, you see, he could have started with Jesus. That's basically where everyone else did. Matthew had a little extra. Here he is. Here's Jesus. Here's what he did. Look at him. This is awesome. You need to believe and follow him. But if you do that, it leaves so many questions unanswered. For example, where'd Jesus come from? Now we know. How did that happen? Now we know. Who else was a part of it? Who else was in on it? Oh, wait. Now we know. You see, there's a strong foundation that Luke builds upon this base for the life then and ministry of Jesus for us to believe in, for us to cherish, and then ultimately for us to share with others. And so as we close today, do you believe? Have you accepted these truths as your own. Are you a skeptic? Are you wondering, how could this possibly be true? Do you have more questions? Great, please ask them. Please stay with us and study with us as we go through this and answer, hopefully, every one of your questions. The Spirit can do that. You know, I can't, but the Spirit of God can. Maybe you're in a place where this has just become another story to you, and it's not real in your life. It's just something that happens each year, and you, yeah, maybe you believe it, maybe you don't. Well, I want you to mentally move to a place to open your mind where you can believe once. Again, let the Spirit move you to believe, full belief and trust in the Word of God and His followers that carried this story on now for 2,000 years. Because this origin of this story 
is the only thing that can save you. (laughs) This person that we're reading about right now is your only hope, not just in this world, but in the one to come. And so if you've never established that relationship with him or you've drifted away and now you're coming back and like, whoa, I'm being hit in the face with Jesus, yes, and I do not apologize. He wants you desperately. And you need him, whether we admit it or not. Will we accept him? And as I said earlier, we know uh, there's some struggles in the room. The room is heavy today. It's the birth story of Jesus. It's the Christmas story, as we always call it. And yet the room is so heavy because we know people are struggling. You know what? People in this story were struggling. Israel was struggling in a mighty way at this time. Zechariah and his wife were struggling at this time. Mary was fit to be married pretty soon, and she gets this. And now she's got a struggle before her going, oh, my goodness, what have I agreed to? Um, There's all kinds of things like that. These are real people, real events, real life. Please let us pray for you. Father God. As we study your word, as we just try to, to take it all in and absorb it, as we, we write down the notes in, in the journals, as, as the Spirit speaks to us, removes us, or highlights things we've never seen before, Father, this needs to be an intense time of growth in our fellowship. Father, we're maybe, maybe for the first time in a long time, we realize the importance of your word and our engagement in it. Father, maybe there's truths that that we we thought were true so long ago, but as adults, we've outgrown those truths as if that's possible. Let us be reminded, let us be inspired to believe once again in you, who you are, and and how you came to this earth. Father, yes, we know from a human standpoint, the story seems impossible, but uh, a lot of this world seems kind of impossible if we really stop to think about it, yet it's real. Our very lives, our very existence as human beings seems pretty impossible if we really stop and think about it, yet I'm pretty sure we're all real. Whatever it takes for us to be convinced and persuaded that you are who you say you are and that you sent your son for us, Father, I pray that that movement begins. And if, Father, we're already at a place where we fully embrace and accept these truths in our lives, may it, this study deepen our trust and our faith in you, may it deepen our knowledge of you, May it make us, empower us to be more comfortable to go out and reach this lost and dying world with your story. Father, we love you, and we seek you in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray.